0: and welcome to the Event Safety Podcast. I'm Danielle Hernandez.
1: I'm Steve Edelman. Today- We're talking
0: about COVID again.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we're talking about COVID again. Um, For today's pod, we're going to do something a little different than what we scrupulously try to do on our normal Event Safety Podcast, which is normally Danielle and I try to kind of tread a fairly straight path more or less down the middle. We both have our politics, we both have our preferences, but generally speaking, we leave our opinions to one side as much as we can while still giving context to the issues we're discussing. Today, we're not doing that. Um, So today, the event safety podcast is really more of an editorial. And the reason for that is, well, I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated that we have to, well, wear face coverings again indoors. I'm frustrated that CDC guidance has taken a U-turn from where we were a couple of months ago. I really enjoyed those two months of relative freedom. I enjoyed seeing faces. I enjoyed being able to breathe at the gym without having something covering my nose and mouth. I even enjoyed not being sure who was vaccinated in my midst and who wasn't. There was sort of this frisson of danger that I found kind of compelling. And all of that is going away. So we've gotten together two smart friends to give us some real boots on the ground, real life info from the front lines of, well, retrenchment. I hope you enjoyed the the two months of unface-covered experience, two months of being able to plan, because um, those times seem to be going away, at least in part. Um, June was amazing. June, June was, was the, the best ever. June was fun. July was cool. Um, remember, Danielle and I actually spoke at a conference. It feels like a long time ago. So for this pod, um, we have chosen to kind of step back a bit from our own comments, Danielle's and mine, um, to bring in um, Erica Fee from Rochester Fringe Festival and Morgan Dean from NEVA, the National Independent Venue Association, um, to talk about, well, vaccination requirements and masking and, and testing and distancing and sanitizing and, and enforcement and exceptions and uh, that messaging, stuff. a lot of stuff. Um, and my own take just to, you know, lay the full groundwork of my background, you know, kind of getting to this is Life is getting more complicated again due to the vaccine, the Delta variant, and vaccination status in different parts of the country. Life itself is getting more complicated, but the risk mitigation measures, in many respects, are getting simpler. Our choices are separating between the really effective ones and the generally not effective health theater ones. there hadn't been that much daylight between these choices even a few relatively short months ago, now there is. And so with that as context, um, let's you know properly introduce Erica Fee, the festival producer at the Rochester Fringe Festival in Rochester, New York, um, and Morgan Dean, the chair of the reopening committee for NEVA, again, the National Independent Venue Association. Um, and Morgan also does festivals and, and other forms of nightlife. So these are people who are grappling with the issues that we are talking about right now in their work with events that are either in, you know, in progress or just far enough away so that we have to keep changing the guidance, changing the requirements, because the environment, the world is changing. Erica, I'm gonna start with you because, well, you and I talk a lot, so I generally have a sense of how you address these things. Um, For the Rochester Fringe Festival, and we're recording this in early August, your festival starts a little over a month from now, What is the Rochester Fringe Festival's current policy regarding vaccination and regarding masking? Our current policy
2: is uh, for vaccinations is what our policy has actually now been for a few months and that's that we're uh, mandating vaccinations for indoor venues. Uh, We are not currently mandating vaccinations for our outdoor spaces, but our health commissioner has let us know that that's probably the next shoe to drop. Uh, particularly in large crowded uh, outdoor concerts. So, we are kind of mentally preparing ourselves for that to, that to occur, which uh, clearly will um, involve a lot more uh, human power on our part. So, currently, sorry. So,
0: so, to be clear, that's for everyone, not just performing or backstage, but everyone in the audience, every vendor, every contractor, every volunteer.
2: That's right, everyone, yeah. Um, The one question mark, of course, and this is a question mark that remains for a lot of producers worldwide, is what do we do with those under the age of 12? Um, We had hoped that there would be a little bit more guidance on this aspect, but it looks like we probably, um, we don't know exactly what September will look like, of course, and so we're not, exactly sure but right now it would be masks for uh children under the age of 12 indoors and quite frankly we are moving uh for those shows that we control we are moving them outdoors uh we are also not emphasizing children's shows this year um we're just you know, doing everything that we can to keep kids safe because the last thing we want is a super spreader event or for parents to be very concerned about our safety protocols, that sort of thing. In terms of masking, right now, there is a mask recommendation in Monroe County. There is not a mask mandate. Um, we do not have a current mask mandate for our attendees. We do expect that by September, that that will probably be something that we will have to enforce. But we are staying a little bit loose on that right now because we may have to pivot. The one thing, of course, we're really scared about um, that we did raise with our our health commissioner was what happens with performers on stage in terms of mask mandates. And he, he did say to us that he's not sure why they would be exempt. Now, if that happens and we have to mask performers on stage. We've got a really, really big problem, and I don't know how the festival would continue with masked performers on stage. Um, so that's something that we're we're clearly, uh, you know, there's nothing that we can do to to avoid that. Um, aside from make sure that everyone in the venues is are vaccinated, um, and also you know uh, increase ventilation in venues because, of course, so many of these venues were. Not created during a time of fantastic ventilation, so we're becoming uh, very familiar with what aerosol scientists like Richard Corsi are creating. We're making our Corsi cubes this week, which are a combination of HEPA filters and a fan, which are can actually be far more powerful than even the ones that cost about a thousand dollars. We are buying portable HEPA uh, air cleaners. We're we're doing what we can there, Um, but you know let's be honest, Um, there are a lot of question marks that remain uh, for September, but we are doing what we can uh, to mitigate perhaps any eventuality.
1: Morgan Dean, let's turn to you. Um, You're based in New York City where you have sort of the optimum situation in the sense that the city is requiring you to do things that are most consistent with CDC, so let's start there. Um, How is that for the events that you're working on in New York? And then I wanna stay stay with you, Morgan, because I have a question about other states because you mentioned that you're going someplace else in a couple of weeks and I'm really curious (laughs) to know how that's gonna go. So let's start with New York City. Um, What are you doing for vaccination and masking?
3: So, and I just want to just clarify one thing that I am the chair of the reopening committee for New York State uh, for the Naiva chat, for the NEVA chat, for the New York chapter of of NEVA, which we call Naiva. it's a whole thing. Uh, But just as a point of clarity, I don't speak for all of NEVA in general, I speak mostly for New York State. Um, And in New York City right now, we have uh, coming into effect on August 16th, um, a vaccine mandate for all events taking place indoors. Um, that is nightclubs, bars, uh, but also restaurants, Broadway theaters, anything that happens indoors. The only exemptions are uh, supermarkets, bodegas, Mass transit, those sorts of things don't, and <clears throat> government—you know—access to government resources. So, social security offices, any government buildings don't have a mask, uh, don't have a vaccine mandate. Everywhere else in New York City will. That again is just the five boroughs. So, this is a New York City. This is a local decision. It's the first um, city in the world, as far as we know, um, to to make such a mandate uh, for indoor events. Um, the Uh, enforcement of this mandate will go into effect on September 13th. So we have about a month um, between the sort of effective date and the enforcement date to figure it out. We're expecting guidelines from the city um, in the next week or so that will answer a lot of the outstanding questions that, that we as operators have, which are What do we do about children under the age of 12 for whom vaccines are not available? Um, What do we do with people who have legitimate um, health exemptions? Um, What do we do with folks who have religious exemptions? Um, And also, while in New York State, we have a very effective um, vaccine, uh, a digital vaccine passport, a digital vaccine wallet. We have one for, for all of New York State called Excelsior Pass. And then New York City is rolling out one that's called Keys to the City. Um, and but one of the questions remains what do we do about uh, checking vaccines that have been given out of state that don't sort of fall under the, um, you know, don't fall under uh, the verification process for those for those apps? Um, so we're looking forward to some guidance on that. Um, and that's that's pretty much where we are in New York City. Um, You know, I I, there is currently I don't think that we are expecting to see something like this statewide. Um, We have asked some questions of our relationships at the state um, and they've indicated to us that there is nothing imminent um, in terms of a statewide vaccine mandate. So right now, I think this is really, you know, sort of a test balloon in New York City. And, I, you know, it makes a lot of sense. And I hope that other municipalities will duplicate it.
1: It's interesting to me that the mandate is going into effect a month before the enforcement of the mandate goes into effect so does that mean that for a month it's basically an honor system
3: yeah i think the idea this the city's thinking is that nobody has done this before right so it's going to take us a little bit of time to work out all of the kinks um, and I think the city's position is if, we ca- if they came in guns blazing on the 16th and started enforcing things um, where not all the questions have been answered. And, and a lot of this is like, we won't know necessarily what all of the questions are until we start trying to do it, right? So I can forecast what I think the issues are gonna be, you know, as Erica indicated, you know, children under 12 are a major question. You know, I think everybody has questions about folks with disabilities, Um, There is currently no, um, you know, nothing under, that has been litigated under ADA that determines whether or not, you know, we can exclude people who are not vaccinated for a health reason. Um, So there are a lot of outstanding questions and I don't think those questions can be answered all of them can be answered until we actually go through the process of um, until we actually go through the process of trying to enforce these rules. I think also in New York City, you know, we, there's a lot of conversation right now happening around how we're managing the school year in the fall. Um, so I think a lot of the questions about how we deal with children under the age of 12 will in part be informed by the decisions around uh, public school reopenings. Those reopenings don't happen until early September. Um, so that's a lot of the reasoning behind the, behind the, the delay between uh, enactment and enforcement. I will say though that m- many of our member venues um, are, are had already been voluntarily having uh, vaccine mandates. I went to a, a show last, Sunday um, and had to show my my proof of vaccine to get into the show, um, and a lot of our members are already have already been or are already planning to, and um, you know enforce enforce the vaccine mandate and are are checking you know proof of vaccination at the door CDC cards or you know pass uh, some of the uh, passports digital passports.
1: All right, Morgan, I, I teased this before I asked my first question. Um, So you are breathing rarefied air right now in New York City. Um, Let's go to the polar opposite. You're going down to Orlando, Florida in a couple of weeks, and well, so am I actually. Um, (laughs) So we are going to some place where not only, well, really everything that you just said has been precluded by gubernatorial order in Florida. What are you doing there? Well, if anything. personally,
3: um, you know, I am intending to wear my mask for the entire time. Um, And all of our staff that's dealing directly with artists um, are wearing their masks. And all of my team, my direct team are vaccinated. And that's a requirement we have mostly because a lot of our staff is New York City based. They couldn't work in New York if they weren't vaccinated anyway. Um, But what I will say is that what we're starting to hear and see from touring artists are questions like, what are your... COVID safety regulations, right? What COVID measures are you taking? And I must say, the tours that I'm dealing with for this particular event are not particularly impressed by the fact that the answer is, this is Florida, so nothing. Um, So I would say to event operators who are operating in markets that don't have these sorts of mandates, that they should be prepared for artists who do not necessarily originate from their market and who do not necessarily share this Misconception um, that it's okay not to be vaccinated and that it's okay not to wear a mask are going to begin to find that artists are not going to come to their municipalities to their states and to their venues. If they're if the venues do not make the choice to enact some sort of COVID regulation, and I have seen that in events i'm doing in Nevada in Las Vegas. There are. I'm starting to see COVID riders coming um, along with the tours. I'm seeing this in Florida. Um, so I think that we can all say, well, it's not the rule in our state, and that's, that's fine, right? <laughs> that certainly is a state decision. But I think as an operator who's interested in remaining profitable and being able to have artists that people want to come and see, be prepared that you're going to start hearing from artists that they're not interested in coming places that don't have COVID safety protocols.
1: Erica, you have a an incredible diversity of artists coming to Rochester, New York in a month. Um, So doubtless you've been hearing a cacophony of voices asking about health and safety measures. Are you hearing anything like what Morgan just described from the Rochester Fringe Fest performers?
2: Yes, um, and that's why I've been nodding my head up and down here, because, um, first of all, uh, what we heard overwhelmingly from performers uh, for months now is, thank goodness you are mandating vaccines uh, for both performers and attendees, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But the other thing that we're starting to hear is I had an interesting conversation with an agent at CAA on Friday, and I was told we would very much favor, we meaning this uh, group that we're bringing in, very much favor outdoor vaccination mandates too. Um, so that's that's another thing. And yes, um, a lot of conversations about COVID. Luckily people are, are, seem to be very understanding that if you have followed all the rules and the show still gets canceled for whatever reason, um, that uh, they're kind of holding you in a, in a higher regard. But they definitely, I'm finding that a lot of um, those involved in the performing arts are really, really up on the science. And I've been very impressed by that, to be quite honest.
3: Well, and I also think it's like, if you're in some market, right, that has you know bogus safety regulations and you get sick and that preclude you know and that means you have to cancel or postpone the rest of your tour right because you were in a state that you know that's a free for all bonanza covid soup place right that as an artist and as a tour has got to be pretty obnoxious and it's like why am i why am i putting why am i putting my career my tour my fans my pocket in peril just because you know you have a governor or a mayor who you know thinks the sky is purple
2: You're absolutely right. And I think, you know, in addition, now that we've seen that Delta uh, can spread, unfortunately, between the vaccinated too, uh, that it's not just a situation of, oh, well, it's your choice to be unvaccinated. It's my choice to be vaccinated. So I'm totally protected. No, Um, I mean, you wouldn't go out in a a rainstorm without an umbrella and a rain jacket. And that's the thing. I think that these, these bands, these groups are saying no my uh artists are vaccinated but i need to make sure that you're playing by the rules too
0: i i heard the one of, a metaphor that i thought was actually very helpful that vaccinated people are wet firewood and unvaccinated are dry kindling and COVID is the fire uh so wet would will burn and can ignite out of the things but it is more smoldery and less oomfy that's not a word um so I was wondering, have either of you, <laughs> sorry, I make up my own language sometimes. Should be uh, a word. <laughs> uh, have, have either of you gotten any feedback from the opposite end
2: of the spectrum? I have. Yep. i very aware of that. But you know what? I haven't had that much. Um, that has actually been the surprise. We were really bracing ourselves for a lot of pushback, especially when we announced um, and it was on uh, in all the, the media here that we would be mandating vaccines. And we thought, oh, now we're going to get a lot of complaints. But actually, what we got uh, were, was a lot of compliments.
3: Thank yous, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: That's fantastic.
3: Yeah. I mean, in, I would say that in our market, we've seen, um, you know, there are, you know, Naiva represents a, a broad spectrum of venues across New York State. Um, and there are some people who believe that you know healthcare information, any healthcare information, doesn't belong in nightlife um, and in event space, and that it's an inappropriate burden to place on um, venues to collect people's health information um, at the door. I think that that is a, a reasonable position to have. It's one that I understand, um, and I think, unfortunately, in our current climate, it's not safe or sustainable, but I, I certainly don't think that it's an unreasonable position to hold, right? Like, yes, it would be really nice if if we could keep healthcare information out of, out of nightlife.
2: I did see something funny, though, um, in regard to that uh, just earlier today, um, because people, you know, complaining uh, about that and saying, well, yes, but you are mandated to show your ID at the door, yes. which does yes. contain a lot of personal information. Yes. So we mm-hmm. are that is your kind of passport into the venue.
3: Yes, you have to prove that you're old enough, right, to come into the venue. You have to, yes, all of
1: these things are true. Yeah, yeah. Erica, had you not jumped in and said that, I was ready to bust out a picture of my driver's license. (laughs) So yes, I mean, of course we we are used to, part of the reason why I think the solutions are fairly simple is We've actually been doing variations on the COVID related solutions for a long time. You know, we know how to make requirements, you know, to condition entry upon following our rules, you know, no shirt, no shoes, no shirt, no service. We know how to do that. You know, we know how to prohibit certain items. We know how to check IDs at the door. You know,
3: the things And this is often my pushback on operators if I may when they sort of want to say to me I don't have the operational capacity to do this. And I think if you're a ticketed venue, you're checking people's tickets. So when you check their tickets, check their vaccine. If you're a ticketed venue, for example, that doesn't have an age enforcement, right? Like maybe you're not checking IDs because you're an all ages show, but you're a ticketed show, you're still, you're checking people's tickets. So that's when you check people's vaccination status, right? I don't have the capacity to do this. Well, somebody's, somebody somewhere is making sure that somebody can enter the venue, that they have the appropriate credential to enter the venue, be it a ticket, be it an ID that shows they're of a specific age, be it a membership card, right? Whatever those things are, there is some credentialing system, and you just need to insert an extra step into that credentialing system. It does not require, you know, a medical degree to look at a piece of paper. And it is true that it is also not the venue's job to, you know, be experts on, you know, fake, uh, you know, fake uh, vaccine cards versus real vaccine cards. By the same token, you know the difference between a fake ID and a real ID. So make it your business to figure out, you know, what the difference is between a, you know, fake vaccination card and a real vaccination card. I will say, however, that it would be really nice to have some enhanced security measures on our vaccination paperwork, be it from on a state by state basis or on a federal basis. And I, I think that that would make things a lot easier. And I think that once we can get there, that will smooth the way to being able to roll out more, um, more global uh, vaccine verification
0: yeah I, I would say that's a, a a flaw in the system that's sort of beyond our control that that those are a cardboard printed thing with handwriting right. on it about like, like, like handwriting on oh. yeah. <laughs> it like, yeah.
1: i mean it yeah. looks like the first driver's license i got you know <laughs> eons ago and when, when i got my first driver's license yeah you know was which you guys in new york probably would recognize um, yeah. let's let's transition so so far we've been talking about <laughs> vaccination and masking, um, let's go kind of basically we're going down the list of options to mitigate the risk of people getting sick in groups. So in my mind at the top, you know, the most effective means is everyone's vaccinated. Next is to block the airborne transmission of the virus by a physical barrier face coverings. Next is testing. So there are PCR test, polymerase chain reaction test, and everybody probably at this point knows you have to wait a you know 24, 48, even 72 hours to get the lab test results back. Um, but the test efficacy is pretty high. Um, alternatively, there are rapid tests. Usually, it's, at this point, it's anti-antigen test. That's the nasal swab. And you can get those results back in a matter of minutes. So that can be done on site at the door. Um, Are you guys doing any of this testing? Are you seeing any of it? And to the extent that, well, to the extent that you have knowledge about this, are there any issues with testing that you are seeing?
2: Steve, as you know, uh, we had hoped that we weren't going to have to do this, but um, this is the thing that keeps me up at night, to be quite honest, is the testing. Um, I read extensively uh, about COVID, and I think that the testing aspect, it's really, really tricky. Um, For instance, you know, you can test positive, of course, and be vaccinated, but not actually be infectious. Um, there is a lot of uh, debate you know currently going on amongst infectious disease doctors on that one. and of course, as you know, the antigen tests are not the best unless you're symptomatic. so then are you are you pcr testing everyone? Um, it, there the number one problem is, is money. Um, these are all very expensive to conduct and uh, right now there doesn't seem to be um, funding for that or, or if there is it's very patchy. Um, our health department is actually starting to roll out antigen pop-up testing so I'm hoping that we can plug into that to an extent to keep our t- our costs low but um, I I think it's tricky. Uh, We haven't solved it yet. I I do think that, um, especially for our staff that are coming in from um, higher prevalence areas um, out of state or even elsewhere in New York state, I think that everyone should be tested now before they come to the site uh, the first day. Actually, Rochester is now a high prevalent area, uh, an area of high prevalence. So uh, they should, even if they're local, they probably should be tested. Um, but I have to say that is something that I am figuring out in real time.
3: And Eric, are you doing vaccination requirements and a vaccination mandate and a test mandate? Is that what you're looking at? Or are you looking at offering a testing as some sort of alternative to vaccines?
2: It wasn't an alternative. We definitely have a vaccination mandate, but um, as of, I think, uh, what are we, uh, maybe 10 days out from this conversation, Steve, aren't we, with our health department, it may be that we have to layer that as well with testing. So vaccines and testing for performers.
3: That seems reasonable to me, perhaps a little belt and belt, belt suspenders, but I feel like we're kind of in a belt and suspender moment. What I would say, however, though, is the testing in lieu of vaccine requirements for me, and this is, there are member venues that have different opinions. For me personally, there is a free option here that is available to you that is a vaccine. right? If you don't want to get the vaccine, that's your business, but then you can't come to my party. Um, and for me to make an, uh, for me to go over and around and out of my way as an operator to make an additional, um, accommodation for you because you don't want to, um, isn't really something that I personally, as an operator, am interested in doing. She says, as she goes down to Orlando, Florida in three weeks, but <laughs> if it were completely up to me, if I ran the world, right, you know, my position, and frankly, I think Erica, you've identified it as well the market doesn't demand it. People are stoked that their vaccine requirements, right? Like I'm not getting a ton of people hearing from a ton of people who are being like, I can't believe you have a vaccine requirement. I'm not coming. It's like, well, you weren't, you couldn't come anyway. So that's fine. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? What I am hearing though, is that we're seeing especially travel markets. So markets like Vegas are starting to see a drop off in people coming to those markets because they're worried that they're not safe. Right. So as operators, I think we need to be a little bit less wrapped up in this idea of like to to your point, you alluded to this earlier, Steve, like sort of the politics of this and being PC. Right. And look at what the market is actually saying. Travel is dropping off, event attendance is dropping off because Delta is surging and people don't feel safe. Right. So The answer then to that as an operator isn't to make it easier and less safe for people to come. It's about figuring out how to make it more safe for people to come so that they feel more secure and so that COVID and its variants, you know, so that we go back to sort of June and early July numbers, right? So I kind of don't subscribe. There are a lot of people who are like, well, we should have either vaccine or testing. I'm like, no, we have that. Testing costs money, vaccines are free. This is the thing that we have, and this is the tool that we should be using, and sort of going over, as I said, sort of just around the bend to try to accommodate people who, you know, don't want to get vaccinated. Nobody is making you get vaccinated. It just means that you can't, you know, come dance.
1: Let's stay on this point of economics for a minute because I, I'm always interested in in kind of the reality checks, and you know, let let's veer away from people's political choices to economic realities. Again, both of you guys, I mean, Erica, you are entirely based in New York. Um, Morgan, you are significantly based in New York, although you travel. Um, Are you guys seeing that there is sufficient demand for the events that you're familiar with? Are you guys seeing sufficient demand by people who are vaccinated so that the events are economically viable at full capacity with fully vaccinated masked crowds. Yes. I, I
3: mean I we are, and I would say that the thing that we're seeing is that people aren't traveling because we have high rates of COVID nationwide, and that that's the problem. But that the option, the, the mandate to be vaccinated or to mask isn't the deterrent. It's COVID that's the deterrent.
2: I would agree with that totally. And I think that it's actually a very good business decision. I've thought this for months. For to to demand um, vaccine verification from attendees because vaccinated people who have gone out of their way to an extent to become vaccinated want to spend their free time with other vaccinated people. And we are seeing um, a level of nervousness now that is far higher even amongst the vaccinated than it was a couple months ago. So I think that the only uh, way forward to be economically viable is to require vaccinations. you know, it, of course, we don't totally know what the next two to four to eight weeks will bring, um, and whether the vaccinated will become very very skittish. But I will say that there are people out there that will almost attend the opening of an envelope at this point, or are just absolutely <laughs> dying to to get out. So I think we need to provide them with a safe means to do so. Uh, going
0: you- back to your belt and suspenders thing, I've I've seen a bunch of theater companies uh, primarily that have mandated vaccines before they go into rehearsal, but then they do testing periodically Uh, just, you know, so that basically said, because we want to do the show, we want to get to that point where we have an audience and we have something to go to other than an envelope. Which I think I'm going to keep that.
2: <laughs> you're very welcome. Um, I just I think it's tricky. I think it's very tricky with Delta, um, particularly the viral load. Um, I think that we don't have a great way of measuring, um, aside from PCR testing. And you know, uh, some reading that I was doing this morning is that you know the issue with these antigen tests, particularly with Delta, is because Delta um, is infectious in a faster amount of time. That by the time you're testing positive. Um, uh, on an antigen test for Delta, you've already been infectious for, for probably 18 to 36 hours. So, I mean, what do you do? Now you've got a PCR test, everyone. Now you're, you're quarantining people. I'm not saying you give up. Um, I'm, just, I'm just saying, I think this is something that the industry is gonna to have to work its way through uh, and quickly.
1: Yeah, Erica, you bring up a point that we have talked about before, which is the test options that are available each have significant problems, particularly now that the major risk is the Delta variant. So, Erica, you you correctly said about 10 minutes ago, the antigen tests are primarily effective for people who are symptomatic. Well, one of the things that I hope, you know, the messaging over the last 17 going on 18 months has made clear is, if you don't feel well, stay home. So there should not be symptomatic people showing up for any event, whether for work or attendance, um, which to my mind significantly reduces the value of rapid nasal swab antigen tests because they're effective for people who shouldn't be there in the first place and who probably know better. Um, That's a hill that either we've climbed already or we're never going to. As for PCR tests, again, the test efficacy, the accuracy rate is quite high, which is great. But PCR tests are a snapshot of a day that we don't care about. They're a snapshot of two to three days before somebody shows up on site. And I'm not aware of anyone and, you know, Morgan and Erica, you tell me if you've seen this. I'm not aware of anyone who not only requires that workers and performers get PCR tests, but further requires that they quarantine until they get their test results. I haven't seen that. Have you guys?
3: Uh, There is some of this in the theater world. Um, And for shows that are like long running shows, we are seeing that like, if if you've got like a two week run at a comedy club, for example, or if you've got, um, if you have like a longer Broadway theater run, we are seeing, um, some of that. but no. I mean, for tours and for our one-off events or even for festivals, I mean, that's completely not feasible, right? Sort of just time wise.
2: And I think the other issue with that, too, is that the PCR test picks up the tiniest amount of viral load and you can be vaccinated. You can have a tiny, tiny amount that's so tiny that you can't even pass it on to anyone else. And so your vaccine is working. Um, There are some I I don't even I can't even believe these words are coming out of my mouth, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, There are some experts, and I mean actual experts, not pretend experts, who are saying that if you do start PCR testing everyone who's vaccinated, you're going to see a lot higher level of infection than you would expect. So, you know, there's that too. Like, do you want to shut down your theater, your festival, and people have really small viral loads? Oh, it's super tricky.
0: Right. And people that have had COVID will continue to uh, test positive on a PCR test. Yes, you could test positive time.
2: For, for 21 days and yes, you could you could test positive for a while. You're right. But I think
3: even like the nature of this conversation, frankly, is a little bit infuriating to me. Right. Because what we're trying to do is like we're talking about all these like elaborate workarounds. And what if we do this and what if we do that? And what could we do this and that? It's like, just go get a vaccine. It's free. And science is real. And just do that. So there's a part of me at a certain point that like, well, I want to be like, you know, sensitive to people's personal freedoms. Like I am sensitive to their personal freedoms. You can totally not get a vaccine, but then you can't come that's it and this is not a this is not a, a life-sustaining activity right like you know you can continue to exist safely in the world and you know get access to public services and eat and send your children to school well maybe not but you know continue to do a lot of these things without being vaccinated and that's absolutely your choice so there's a little bit too here that's like this idea that you're entitled to do whatever you want and not be vaccinated it's a little bit like being like I don't want to have to prove that I'm 21 to come into the venue. It's my business whether or not I'm 21. It's like, well, it's not really, though. Like, it's not your business if you're 21. It is my business. And it's okay that you're not 21, but then you can't come in.
2: Okay. I think that's totally true. I think the issue that I was thinking about was what do we do with testing vaccinated people? And if vaccinated people are showing up as mildly positive um, and have a, a very low viral load, and yet the fact is their vaccine is working, you know, what do we do in that instance? Steve, I don't know. What do we do? Do you have any expert advice? What do we do in that instance? They might have a viral load that's so low that they can't even transmit anymore. Um, but we don't know that from a PCR test. We are getting, as a, as Joe Public, when we receive the PCR test back, it's either positive or negative. We're not receiving the actual levels.
1: Yeah, so let, let me issue a lawyerly disclaimer now during the latter stages of this podcast. Um, so podcast listeners, you've been listening to four non doctors, none of us has any medical training. We are all well-read. I think we are probably unusually well-read on CDC guidance. And Erica Fee is part of the Pfizer vaccine study. So she's kind of an insider, even among us insiders. But nobody here went to medical school. So Erica just posed a question that's over my pay grade. I'm a lawyer. So let's stay in our respective swim lanes there. If you want medical advice, see a trained medical person. Uh, Generally, those are doctors and nurses and other people with medical training. Um, But I do want to address something, Morgan, that you just raised, which is in my swim lane, because it's a legal issue. So podcast listeners, I'm going to remind you of a legal reason. This is actual law no matter where you're located which explains why what Morgan said is correct, that somebody who is underage cannot simply walk into a 21 plus event and say, well, I don't want to show you ID and I wanna come in anyway. Um, The legal reason, so here's a little law for you, is their status is that they are a business invitee. That is the law. Um, And what that means is their invitation is conditioned on them complying with whatever your rules are. So again, no shoes, no shirt, no service, um, no face covering, no admission, uh, no proof proof of vaccination, no admission. Those are simply variations on a time-honored common law theme, which is all of our guests and all of our workers and all of our performers are all business invitees their invitation, which comes from you, podcast listener, if you are a producer of an event like Erica and Morgan, um, your invitation to participate in that event in whatever way you participate is conditioned on your compliance with their rules. And their rules can be anything, so long as it is not in conflict with the due process clause of the US Constitution, or whatever state or local regulations in that jurisdiction. So that's why what Morgan said is correct because the legal status of all of us when we enter someone else's private property is that we are business invitees and our invitation is conditioned on compliance with whatever legal rules there are for that venue or that event.
0: And to follow up on the medical thing, as none of us are medical professionals. If you have not yet been vaccinated and you do have questions, please do reach out to your doctor or your pharmacist and ask them if the vaccine is an okay choice
1: for you. So what I wanna do at this point, since we've about reached the end of this conversation is I'm going to do something which when I'm asked to do it, I always balk and come up with something that I hope is funny and punts the question, but I'm gonna put you guys on the hot spot. So I'm going to ask what you see as the future for your events. You can pick a time interval. Um, I was going to do it in terms of two weeks, four weeks, and then, well, I'll just pick December 1 because that's the date when the event safety summit is scheduled to begin. And we've always planned it as a hybrid event. And we are deep in the planning of our hybrid event. And we're really trying to look closely into our crystal ball to see what we need to change from our original plans. So, Erica, I started with you. Let's let's finish with you. So, Erica Fee from the Rochester Fringe Festival looking into your crystal ball, which I think for you is probably really close to now, what are you seeing in your very near future?
2: Well, as you said quite rightly, Steve, my titers are in the New England Journal of Medicine. Um, So I am in the Pfizer trial, I am phase one Pfizer. So I have to say, I do get inside scoop (laughs) from that trial um, that not everyone is, uh, is able to receive, but I'm going to share it now. So what I understand from that trial is that um, this third shot booster idea is, uh, as you know, being currently considered by the FDA. I think that apparently within the next week, um, the FDA will be approving uh, for a third shot booster for the immunocompromised. And following that should be approving a third shot booster for those of a certain age or perhaps those who have been vaccinated, um, maybe six to nine or or longer uh, months ago. Um, I think that that's going to be a game changer, to be quite honest, if we can get that approved, because uh, what Pfizer has discovered is that and this is public information, this is not um, something that I'm just uh, uh, revealing.
1: But Erica the, Fee, the Delta, breaking news. Yes.
2: Breaking news is that the Delta variant, um, really is transmissible, as you know, when you've had two shots. But when you've had three shots, that really, really, really cuts down or actually totally halts the rate of transmission. So I think that if we can roll out these boosters, it's going to really be a game changer. And, you know, right now the United States is throwing a lot of these in the garbage because they're ex- uh, expiring. Um, so I think that you know, unfortunately, if the FDA does not approve, then yeah, then we're, then we're going to have a, a different situation where the vaccinated are going to become uh, sick. We are going to have lowered, um, antibody rates, uh, across the general population and December is going to look a lot worse than, uh, uh, September is going to look you know, in, in August. Um, I think it's all in the hands of the FDA right now. I think there's two different tracks. So it can either improve or we've got a real problem on our hands.
1: Thanks for narrowing it down to nothing. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Morgan Dean, what, what do you see in your crystal ball, which is a hey. national crystal ball, which I think is useful yeah. as well.
3: I sort of, you know, I don't have nearly as much sort of, you know, inside baseball knowledge on a sort of scientific front as Erica, but I would say, you know, my answer is the same, which is that whatever happens next is completely up to the public, right, and what happens next if we want a football season, if we want a, you know, if we want a festival season in 2022, if we want to be able to go to New Year's Eve events, the answer is very simple. You, we have to get more people vaccinated, be it for the first time or with boosters, we have to get more vaccines than arms. And that's not a political position. That's a, that's a that's a a fact, right? Until we can lower the rates of the transmission of COVID-19, we will not be able to open and operate freely. And the way to get transmission rates of COVID-19 down is to vaccinate people. So what happens next has to do with how many people get vaccinated. And I can't crystal ball that because I don't understand not getting vaccinated. Um, so it's difficult for me to it's difficult for me to forecast the behavior. I don't know what other sorts what other impetus folks need in order to get the ball moving. What I would say though, I want to reiterate what I said earlier, which is as a business, strictly as an operator, as a business decision, expect that your business will be shut down again to some degree if we can't get transmission rates down. And that you are going to begin to see if you are not already seeing that artists do not want to play in your venue, if you do not take COVID protocols, and you will begin to see, especially if you live in a travel market, I'm looking at you, New Orleans, I'm looking at you, Florida, I'm looking at you, you know, Las Vegas, places that are travel markets, people are going to stop traveling to your market if your market isn't safe.
0: Well. So that's all a of lot of stuff there, guys. And frankly, we could probably talk for another four hours and really never never solve this, but have lots of great insight. However, we are going to uh, wrap this up now. If you want to email us, our email address is podcast at eventsafetyalliance.org. Uh, you can register for the Event Safety Summit via it virtually or in person at this point uh, at eventsafetysummit.com. And find us on social media. We would love to interact with you. We have a bunch of great podcast subjects lined up, so, more to come. I want to really thank Morgan and Erica for joining us today and and sharing your perspectives and and your opinions and your plans, be they ever changing. Uh, We really, appreciate your insight and we are very hopeful and optimistic that we'll turn a corner some point soon again i uh, feel like we're doing a like a hexagon or something <laughs> but uh thank you again thank you to jacob thanks to my co-host steve and y'all stay safe out there